On today's episode, Dave interviews Ed Lee. Ed has written for Norm, Are You There, Chelsea, Muppets Tonight, and The Drew Carey Show. Ed also teaches at I.O. Recorded from the prestigious California Summer Arts Festival in Monterey Bay, California, I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Yeah. If Ed takes off your shirt, we do what? Great. Um, uh, and uh, if I take off my shirt... What if I take off Ed's shirt? <laughs> All right. Uh, as we always, as we always do here, uh, we are we have already started. As I always do that. So, um, <laughs> and it's interesting. Uh, I, this is uh, we're here at the California Summer Arts Festival. Uh, we are doing uh, sketch comedy and uh, just writing a writing class, and we have uh, the great. Sitcom writer Ed Lee. I called you a great sitcom writer, so now it's my turn. Calm down, everyone. I guess a sexy lady came by. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so we've just spent uh, two days with you, and uh, I, I got to see some. Uh, I, uh, you guys weren't there, but um, Ed had a nosebleed this morning, and I got to see that. Uh, it was really exciting. Um, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of uh, of all of us, because you had you've experienced before you got here. You had a, a, a bad car accident, yes, and you made your way over here. You rented a car that was just like the car that you had, mm -hmm. um, so you were like that. What you weren't superstitious uh, about the Prius, <laughs> um, but you came here, and I, I have to say. Uh, you're 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 so enthusiastic and you're so outgoing and you're so focused and it's just so goddamn refreshing, uh, and you're really inspiring, man. And you're really really oh. inspiring. And and uh, I, you know, I haven't had much of an opportunity to work with you at I/O or talk to you at I/O, um, but that's where I I know you from. And but we're still friends. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I do remember the first time I met you was uh, Drew Carey was supposed to be. The Armando. Oh right, yeah. And I think didn't you do it instead? Yes. Yeah. So you are you have a you have a series you have a, uh you just pick up the ball and run. You know, uh, has that been something that because you have for a writer you have a really improv uh, you have a good improv gestalt. It's really nice. Yeah, I mean improv has really helped me actually. I I uh, I started taking improv classes after I was a writer on Drew Carey. Mm -hmm. uh, Drew Carey was my first staff writing job, and uh, it was a, you know, it was a really fun job. I, I enjoyed it. I uh, liked the writers, and on top of that, uh, Drew was not only doing the Drew Carey show; he was doing a show called "Whose Line Is It Anyway?" with Ryan Stiles. And sometimes on Drew Carey, uh, they would have uh, people like Colin Mockery or Greg Proops, or some other really terrific improvisers come, and they would do improv shows sometimes on the Drew Carey show. Uh, and I got to uh, talk to some of these people, and there was another person who was at, a writer at Drew Carey who was a great influence on me, and she's just a terrific person. Uh, her name is Julie Larson. Yes. And Julie, uh, you, she got her start doing improv at in Santa Monica yes. with uh, Colin and Sean Ryan Masterson Stiles and Sean and Masterson. And we do we would do the Second City Alumni Jam, and that's how I know Julie. And I I, I, uh, I know Julie 
And I remember when Julie got the job on Drew Carey mm -hmm. from Dolly. From Dottie Dartland. Dottie Dartland. Uh, yeah. That was actually, oh, she got was, the job on Darman and Greg through Dottie Dartland. Right, right, right. And that was her first writing job. Yeah. And she had never written before. Right. That She had never written before. She met this woman in... In Montreal. And, oh, was it Montreal? Just, just for laughs. Yeah, and they just had a chat, and it was like, come on in. Yeah. And, uh, but the fact is that uh, it's not like Julie wasn't working on her craft. Right. She was working very hard. She was a legal secretary with and a single mom. A single mom. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, but she loved improv so much, and she loved comedy so much that she was constantly going out and doing shows and... Uh, and making connections and meeting people, but working on being the quickest person that she could be. And when she got the job, it's not like she didn't stop learning. She was always uh, writing and trying to write more, and she wrote a pilot. Uh, really, she was really observant and really um, positive. And that was my sort of first exposure to someone in a writer's room with an improv background who was moving things forward and she when you say moving things forward what do you mean moving the story forward moving the story forward moving uh moving the day forward i mean every day we had more and more work to do until the season was over and she really worked hard to make sure that uh that we were getting lots of good writing in the script that she that she could build upon things that people were saying that she could pitch jokes that mm. no one had ever heard before. Right. And she took me on her, her wing. Right. Um, and she was just an amazing person. Because uh, she's, a, a, the other funny thing about Julie is that uh, she's, a, um, she's a Buddhist. I know. And she's very, very devoted. She chants for hours a day. And her attitude was just so fantastic. Um, what I really liked about uh, her attitude was that um, if you know I was if I had problems with anyone or if I had some issue or I felt like someone was being uh, a jerk to me or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, you know she was someone I could confide in, but she was also the person who would tell me, "Look, that's what they're going through, and it doesn't have to be what you're going through." They're, you don't know what's going on in their life to make them act out in the way they're, that they're acting. The, uh, looking at, uh, did you take that on? I did, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and have you practiced that? Yeah, I mean, I try and I slip. Right. Uh, but I have to tell you that, that <laughs> when we, like this, the podcast really is about that sort of stuff. Yeah. The podcast, I'm glad we hit upon that. Yeah. Because Julie, when I was going through a lot of stuff, I had a friend uh, this woman, Susan Pokrak, that I went to, to grade school with that knows Julie. She lives, Susan lives in Bakersfield and Julie, you know, lives in L.A. And somehow they know each other. And the feeling of just, you don't know what somebody else is going through. It's a practice, yeah. you know. And as a teacher, as a writer, as a performer, as somebody living on this planet, as an artist, it's so important to take a step back and to go, oh, historically, I would attack you. Yes. But at this moment, I got to stop and go, oh, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. What's going on in your life, rather. That, I, and you know what? I, def, I would ask of you to do the same thing for me. Yeah. I mean, we're, I, think, I really feel like uh, our default is to judge. 
and our default is to uh, be judgmental and some and also to gossip and uh, and yeah I'm still I still am guilty of that from time to time but for me it's about stepping back and thinking about like well why am I letting other people's problems become my problem it's it's exhausting it's exhausting because I have my own stuff that <laughs> so much of my own stuff that I need to deal with and that I need to make sure that I'm healthy with so why am I worrying about other people's problems if someone else is uh, is a problem in the writer's room or if someone else is a problem uh, with uh, it just in terms of relationships and friendships uh, it's you know the, the older I get the more I realize that I don't need negative energy in my life, and that sounds pretty California. Like that, where, but but the fact is that um, while you can you want to focus on the positive in other people, the positive in in art that we see, and the positive in movies that we see. I mean, I grew up loving movies and loving TV, and uh, you know the reason why I love movies and TV is because I. Grew up in the I was grew up in the 70s and 80s in New Jersey uh, as the only Korean kid on the block and one of only a couple of Asian kids in my school with immigrant parents who didn't know how to teach me how to be American right. and fit in right. and the people that were teaching me how to be American and fit in and have something to talk about with the other kids at school were the Bradys. And the partridges, and uh, the little rascals, even, and it was this thing that my parent, my parents hated me watching TV, but I soaked it up so much. I loved television. Television became a part of my family. Mm -hmm. this, the, and th that's where I sort of started to learn. And it's not that my family isn't my family, but I started to learn that you can make other things part of your family too, and other people, mm -hmm. and you sort of build this. You know, Ursot's family, right? That uh, that you can take comfort in, uh, and but you also learned to socialize. I mean, you, oh you, yeah, you know what I mean. Like like we we're having conversation. Sure. You like you being in front of everybody. There's a confidence that you have, and there's a confidence that you have in your teaching and an understanding and being able to to relate to people and mm -hmm. and honesty that you have too. So apparently something worked. Yeah, I mean, I look. I had, I certainly had problems socializing when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and really through high school. And part of that was I didn't know who I was. Who I, does in that time? No, no one does. But I thought I was, I thought I was uh, lesser for it at the time. As everyone does. Yeah. I don't mean to reduce that. But no, I'm just but saying, that's I that's what it. teen angst is. Right. You know right. that that you don't know who you are, but you think that everyone else does. Right. And you're not seeing that everyone else is just as lost as you are. Right. It's 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 the feeling of um, no one knows that I'm going through except everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but we can't talk about it. We right. don't know how to talk about it. Of course it. not, because right. you gotta try to be cool. Right. And you know, my version of cool was uh, was different than my version of cool today. Mm -hmm. sure. Like I thought, you know. I wasted so much. I went to uh, so, you know. I grew up in a pretty ritzy town in New Jersey. Um, Your dad's I, a doctor. My both my parents are doctors. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, both of my parents are you doctors. You could be Jewish. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I I had a pitch for a uh, Korean family uh, show that, uh, and every time I went in to pitch it with a lot of uh, Jewish executives, mm -hmm. they would be like, "You guys are the Jews of the East, right?" <laughs> right? Because there's a lot of pressure to succeed. I mean, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, I wasn't able to dissect a frog in biology in high school. So then they said, well, you're going to be a lawyer then, because I guess those are the only two choices in the profession, <laughs> right? And I, really, uh, and I really thought I was going to be a lawyer, but... But you thought you were going to be a lawyer because your parents wanted you to be a lawyer. Yeah. Right? And, uh, but uh, the other thing is, I really liked, uh, I really gravitated towards history. Right. And I still love history. And I, you know, the, maybe history could lead to political science degree and political science. But like with Koreans, everything's planned out from when you're when you're very young. So uh, so much so that when I was five years old, my parents started uh, tried to start me on the violin, and I had a tiny violin. They bought me a tiny violin. A, a violet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they started me on this thing called the Suzuki method. If anyone played violin, they know the Suzuki method. And, but uh, they had this. They had a Korean teacher come once a week, but by the third or fourth lesson, like I hated it, and I was just five, and I, I didn't know why I was doing this, and that you know why this scary man was coming over to tell me what to do, and uh, and I just, I just hated it, and so the I remember when the uh, about the fourth or fifth lesson when the man came to the door. I ran up to my bedroom and hid under my bed, and I was crying my eyes out, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to the lesson, and I remember seeing my dad's head just sort of poke under, and saying, "Like, why don't you come out? You got to come out." I was like, "I don't want to. I don't want to play violin." And the answer I got was, uh, "You need something to put on your college applications." <gasps> At five. At five. <laughs> then a couple of years later, they put me on piano. Uh, but everything was gear everything was planned out so far in advance. Did you, I'm sorry, did you stick with the piano? Uh, for a little while, but I quit, I think, in eighth grade to play uh, the bass guitar because my brother played the guitar. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and basses are cool, right? Right. I, uh, but <laughs> as, as you're going through this, I'm going, you got a, but you got a little piano, and then you got a little <laughs> bass. You got a pianette, and you got a, a bass set. Um, so uh, but, you, uh, well, the, I mean, the fact is, everything was sort of planned out for me. And I, every summer, it wasn't summer camp. It was summer school, right. some sort of an enrichment proje project. I mean, by seventh grade, I was taking pre-SAT classes so, to, so I could get the high score I could on my, on my SAT. And in the meantime, like, I, I was trying to figure out how I fit into the world. And um, you know, around ninth grade, I sort of, sort of couldn't take the pressure anymore. And, I went to, uh, I was told my parents I wanted to go away to school. Because it was really because, you know, and, you know, they go loved Go away to high school? Yes. Uh -huh. And they loved me and I loved them, but it was it just, just too much for me. Out. It wasn't working out. No. We had to break out. No, right. Someone out. had to go and uh, they had the house. So, <laughs> so I applied like, to the sorry. top five boarding schools in the U.S. because rankings are very Wait, important. you applied by yourself? It's like, I'll take care of this one, folks. Uh, yeah, I got the applications and I applied. They paid the fees and right. then they took me to the interviews and everything. Uh -huh. uh, but they said, if you get into one of these, we'll let you go. 
So I got into a school called, uh, well, I won't say the name of the school, but it was a very conservative uh, boarding school in Connecticut that was like very old money, and they were very rich people. And who's, the, who's they? Uh, the well, you said they were very rich people. The students. The students were yeah. very rich. Uh -huh. And their families. Got it. I mean, they, uh -huh. these were people who were. And were they all, were they Korean or they were just no. a whole? No, this was going. actually this was this was a school that in their brochure, the uh, the brochure the cover of the brochure had had like ethnically ambiguous people or like an and one Asian and one black kid and one white kid and everyone was kind of dancing together in harmony and then and then you get to the school and then it's all white. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I'm just kind of as you're talking, I'm listening as well as thinking, what do ethnically am, ambiguous people look like? Well, you know? I mean, they look. And, uh, what color is that? I mean, they look like uh, they look like the uh, one of my fellow students there was the daughter of the dictator of El Salvador, who was you know the head of the Noriega? death squads. Uh, no, no, El Salvador. Uh, El Salvador, was, uh, pardon me, pardon so me. Was, uh, uh, Yes, 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 yeah, I'm getting my and, uh, and children And then we confused. had an, another one who's, who's, uh, whose father was very closely related to baby Doc Duvalier Got in it. Haiti. And wow. we had uh, a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of people who were like, and those, those were the people who weren't white, but they were mega rich. Right. So I had nothing in common with them, but... A lot of except my, for the death squads. Except for the death squads. Yeah, my parents ran death squads. <laughs> at, in Who's a hospital has it? In Hands Zanzi. up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, my parents are very good doctors. They don't kill people. All right. Uh, All right. Noted. On purpose. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but I went to this school and I spent a lot of time and I wasted a lot of time. What does that mean, wasting a lot of time? Well, I spent a lot of time uh, trying to fit in with people who I was never going to fit in with. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that at the time. No. It's not wasted. It's, yeah. ex it's, exper it's, it's experiential. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Because when I hear people say they wasted time, I, I don't know how you waste time. I, you know, I really don't know that because I also I have an issue with the word lazy. I don't think anybody's lazy. I think you're just not motivated to do that. Uh, you're not compelled to do something, and the time that you're taking. So I don't see that as a waste of time. I see that as you discovered what it was that you needed to do in order for you to move forward in that area. You don't think there's such a thing as wasting time? No. 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 I, I, so maybe I have, that's just a reason for me to drink in the morning. But. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel like I've wasted some time in my life. Really? Uh, yeah. I've wasted, I feel like I've wasted my time. I went through a period of... Um, well, um, I'm sorry. While okay, you were doing well, it... While you were, were doing this wasting time, you didn't just fall into the wasting time. No. You were doing something prior to that, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to sit for a minute. Yeah. A month. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. You well, look at it that way. Yeah. Right. Um, but I did spend a lot of time when I, was in, uh, when I was in high school trying to fit in with people who were wealthy, somewhat racist. So uh, there was there was a point where I'm someone. Sorry, I'm sorry. How could you be somewhat racist? Or <laughs> flat out racist. Flat out racist. Uh, but in a very polite way. <laughs> I think there are Most two types of, of racists. Yeah. There's the polite racist and the impolite. Yeah, racist. Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, the, but the, there was one time when it was very impolite when uh, someone left. Uh, we, I left my dorm room unlocked because I trusted people, and someone 
had written a, uh, had taken the time to write a rap song or a poem or something about me and being Asian and using a lot of racial slurs and, and that really hurt me. And I remember taking that, uh, that uh, it around and trying to figure out who did this. And wow. I asked around who did this and I remember going into a room where these kids, I mean there were some, some high school kids that were playing uh, gin for hundreds of dollars in high school. Uh, but they were very rich. And I asked them, like, do you guys know who did this? And they said, and one guy, uh, I remember this guy, uh, he was just like the epitome of old money, like white privilege. And he turned to me and said, I know who did it, but do you really want to know who did it? Like, you don't really want to know who did it. And that's right. That's or right. Or did you? That's right. I kind of did, right? but at the time, but it didn't matter who did it. Right. Because what it, like, I figured out sort of what it meant to me, which was just that, like, I am me, and, like, what I figured out when I met Julie Larson years later, to look back on that situation is, that's their problem. Right. Not my problem. Isn't that, like, one of the greatest lessons that you can give yourself? One of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is that realization. Sure. That is not my problem. That is your problem. And to truly believe that. Because I think that a lot of people play lip service to the thing like, what you think about me is none of my business. Right. And then I remember it was like, it was like, I, I, it was like, hit me like puberty. Like, like, oh my God, now I know exactly what that means. Yeah. And then I get to live my life like that. You guys, that. What other people think of you is none of your business. Like, oh my God, what a wonderful thing to, a gift to give to yourself. Yeah, and it was experiential too. I mean, it really sort of, I w you know, because the other thing I was doing was I was watching a lot of uh, Monty Python. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, like back then when I would go back home and my parents had cable, I would watch MTV. And MTV was great for comedy, oddly enough, back then. Because they would show the young ones uh, the Rick Mayall just passed away. He was a member of the Young Ones, and it was such a funny show, and just British comedy in general. And then I found the other kind of closet comedy nerds, and we all of a sudden we had something in common, and we could quote Monty Python movies and shows to each other, and really sort of uh, delight in in this thing that was like. You know, we thought it was like this special secret thing that we found on MTV. <laughs> but, uh, but it was available to us, and it was, it was fantastic. And, and it's funny, because you know, one of my first jobs was uh, being a writer's assistant on Home Improvement. Right. And Tim Allen used to talk about how he developed his stand-up. How he developed his he a, sense of humor. He's a great stand-up. He's a great stand-up, and yeah. he knows how to please an audience. He knows, and he especially knows how to play to a male audience. Well, guess what? He wasn't a stand-up before he went to jail. Right. <laughs> right. He had to make these people laugh. You know that he was in jail for coke. I think dealing. Yes. Dealing. Dealing um, coke. Dealing coke. It wasn't like oops. Uh, don't quote me on that. We might have to get the research department on yeah, it. We'll but, fix it in post. Uh, yeah, but um, but no, I think he's been pretty open that he spent a couple of years in prison. Right. And talk about high stakes. He, in order to keep from uh, you know being hurt or worse, 
uh, he had to be funny. He had to make these people laugh. These dudes, these macho dudes, he had to make them laugh. And he owned his comedy in prison. Well, guess what boarding school was a lot like? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're trapped there right. with these people. And it is Lord of the Flies in there right. when the teacher's not around. Right. And it is just like you are out for yourself. So you got to try to make people laugh. So get the I, conch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not get my glasses, you know, or no. myself crushed by a gigantic no. rock. No, no, that's always you guys. Seriously, the moment you realize, never get yourself crushed by a gigantic rock. It's like puberty. Yeah, it, <laughs> that gigantic rock will hit you like puberty. Exactly. Yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. I believe that's the first time that sentence has ever been uttered. Uh, uh, but. I, the, the thing about the comedy nerd and hanging out with people like that, like getting a sense of community, knowing that you're not alone. For me, it was uh, George Carlin, and it was also comic books. And it was yeah. hanging out with people and listening to those records, and then listening to records, like going up to a friend's, uh, going to a friend's house, going up into their bedroom, what? Closing the door, what? They put a record on, what? And maybe they, maybe, and you both lie in bed and listen to the record. You know what? And it was like, and nobody thought, I, I, you know, it's not like, I hope he doesn't jerk me off. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like you, you, you just did that. The new Yes album came out. I'm coming over. And you put it on, and then you lie, lie, lie in the beds, and that's it. Yeah, and I think, like, and that go, actually goes back to the TV, I think, as well. Because the, like, the Brady Bunch and... You know, when Moonlighting came on, I remember we were all talking about it in school, and it was the, the a show that we weren't supposed to watch because I think I was in seventh grade when that was out. Um, but like, that's what TV. And then like, there was a movie when, when I was a kid that came out. Uh, I was born in 1973, and Star Wars came out when I was four years old. But you know, back then, they instead of like going to VHS or anything like that. They, they would actually show, keep re-releasing the movies. So I think I was probably six or seven when I first saw Star Wars. And then this, there was this whole new, literally a whole new universe that opened up to me. And being fluent in Star Wars was our like, sort of cultural currency on the playground. And having those action figures, too, that was really huge. Uh, now, my parents didn't want us to have the action figures. But they would buy us a couple just like as a treat or something like that. So, and I had crappy ones. I had IG-88, which I think was a medical droid. Um, I had. I wait, had wait did they go out and buy that for you? We're not going to. Yes. Get oh, of course. Really? Yeah. They studied up on what the lamest one was. Yeah. And then I, I had. Uh, good. I had. I had Han Solo, but you it wasn't. Harm. It wasn't Han Solo in the white shirt and the vest. It was the uh, Hoth. Han Solo. See, see, these guys know. It was Han. It was Han's duo. (laughs) And uh, and yeah, I had uh, I had Luke, but he wasn't in his robe. He was in actually, it's kind of cool. He's in his X-wing. Do you still have it? No, 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 no. Oh, don't say it that way. I think Scott Adsit has every single. Uh, one of those that he's ever gotten. Well, that's why he's a success, and I'm um, right. See what happens. Who I am. (laughs) Um. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, and so you were able to, to, to yammer with your friends in, in, in Star Wars Ease? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just knowing the universe 
Um, some people, we, the other thing that I really regret is that my parents didn't um, want us to read comic books. And so How is that your regret? Uh, it's my regret because uh, uh, a couple of my friends from college uh, are, uh, well, one of, my, one of my really good friends from college, his name is Alex Kurtzman. And he's part of a writing duo called uh, uh, the writing duo of Kurtzman and Orsi. And uh, Alex is, uh, they've made a lot of money writing Transformers and Star Trek, both of the Star Trek movies. And uh, Alex's directorial debut is going to be the new Venom movie. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, but like, first of all, they worked their butts off and I totally, like, I, I totally applaud all of the success they've had. But um, I have a couple of other friends who work on TV shows and stuff where having comic book knowledge is mandatory. But I don't understand how it's your regret that your parents wouldn't let you read that. That's not your regret. No, but I wish I, but it's not a regret maybe, but it's, it's something I wish I had. It's a knowledge I wish I had. <clears throat> um, and it's a knowledge that you can't really build in adulthood. It's like learning so. a new language. I think really? that you can, yeah. You don't think that you can? I don't know. Maybe I could. Maybe you could. Will you teach me? I will teach you. Okay. I, I'd have to learn first, okay. but I'd be okay. willing to do okay. that. Uh, uh, I just, I'm, I'm going to, the reason that I, when I hear somebody say, I have a regret, I, I just, I stop because I feel like, how, how, how can you have a regret? Um, and what I mean by that is you weren't airdropped into your life in the middle of what it is that you're doing and so, oh, I'm going to decide that. Again, everything, every decision you've made is led up, is predicated by an action that happened prior to that. Sure. And the actions that happened prior to that, it's not like uh, they drugged me and then I walked through high school. You know, it's not that. You, you made conscious decisions every step of the way. So I just never understand the concept of regret. Um, <laughs> if you want to take it. <laughs> I've had times in my life when I've been unhappy. And, that, not, that's different. But, uh, but unhappy because of decisions that I've made in the past. And to, I mean, I think there's, a, I think we have a natural tendency to wonder, like, what if I had chosen this other path? Do you think that? Oh, sure. Really? It's like, what? I mean, look, people. Uh, I think a lot of people now are 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 uh, sort of thinking about the idea, you know, with. Cosmos out and, and like wormhole studies and all this science stuff. People are really obsessed with the idea of parallel universes. Mm -hmm. And look, like we're never going to see those parallel universes. I'd hate to break it to you, so we're never going to know whether they exist or not. What you think of you in a parallel universe is none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> but if there's an infinite amount of parallel universes, the only ones that people are really obsessed with and interested in telling stories about or making a movie about or anything is one that closely mirrors our own somewhere, some parallel universe where everything is exactly the same as this universe except for one decision that they would have changed. Would you pop my mic off just then? <laughs> um, uh, so I think it, there's a, I think there, I think people in general, it's, it's human nature to think what would have happened if I had chosen this course instead of this course? But not, there's a, it, 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 isn't it interesting to think that? <laughs> but I also think, no, what I'm saying is like to go, oh, I wonder, and then to let, 
to let yourself live your life as opposed to saying, I wonder oh. what would happen if I made a different decision. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, look, there's, I mean, I think I have a natural um, tendency towards, um, towards sadness. I, I've, Do I'm, you really? yeah, sure. You haven't, I'm sorry, but I haven't seen it. And, and what, because I, I can tell you, I look at you and, and you're entitled to the feeling that you have about yourself. Sure. But you walk into a room, and the, and there's an energy that you have that is not sadness, Ed. It's not sadness. Well, and and what you've expressed to us, and uh, what you've expressed to us, and the way that you have expressed that in the very in the, in the root of that word, you've expressed that to us. The energy that you have is a positive energy, and I don't know how one fakes it. I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to well, finish sure. this, this screed. Um, that that <laughs> I don't know how you fake that. I don't know how one fakes that uh, uh, because I think that so many people. You walk in the room, it's like, oh God, him. And that's not you. Like you come well, I've here. Been, I've been that person for sure. But I don't give a fuck that you're not that person when I see you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And to say, yeah, you know what? Uh, well, because I I, I'll tell you what kind of person I was. I was a person that shit my pants and allowed a woman to clean me up. Mm -hmm. I was three. <laughs> <laughs> and I was 44, but that's a different story in time. But do you understand what I mean? You're not that person. I, I, think, for, I think for people who tend towards uh, being depressive or, or just like, or, you know, they have a resting sad mood. Like that's your, that's Is your that baseline. Resting sad mood? Well, I don't know. I just made it up. Okay, so, but, No, I because you know. This, don't negate me. No, I'm not negating you. No, I'm just asking. Uh, and I'm asking because you know I just learned about the spectrum, and I'm going. I don't know what. The, what? Yeah, what? Um, I don't. You know, I'm like, oh, there's something called the spectrum. Uh, for me, the, the, this is how it works for me, and this actually I only learned relatively recently, is that um, is that you don't have to be satisfied with being sad. I think I'm naturally sad. I'm naturally melancholy. I'm, uh, when I'm alone, I, I just think about things maybe a little too much. I get a little neurotic. Um, but uh, what I learned recently, and this was actually through getting sick, because I was actually on antidepressants for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the antidepressants made me sick. I mm -hmm. woke up one morning, and I had stroke symptoms from an antidepressant that I was taking. And you look, we looked at the monograph, and the... Uh, the, uh, there, uh, we looked under S in the monograph, and it said the, uh, uh, the monograph is, is saying all the possible side effects. It said stroke, and it said stroke symptoms. So I had to get all these tests to figure out whether I had a stroke or not, or whether it was just miming a stroke. And I went through a month of thinking that maybe I had a stroke. Mm -hmm. So, and I was slurring my speech, and I was walking around like, like a Frankenstein's monster, and I was just, my muscles were all contracted, and I, I didn't know what to do. And, and you know, I went through this all this stuff to just sort of figure out that that I needed to get off of all this medication. I needed to not take anti-anxiety pills or antidepressant pills, and I needed to work on myself. And I've been in therapy for a long time. Me too. And um, and I thought my mindset before that was that uh, I'm revealing a lot. But, uh, this podcast doesn't yeah. go out to anybody. Okay. It's Great. not on the. Great. I guarantee you, this is not on the radio. <laughs> um, my, but uh, what I had to learn, or, or what my mindset before that was, was, uh, you know what? If I go to the therapist, he'll fix my problems. Mm. And if I take this pill, that'll fix my problems. And what I came to realize was that these things weren't fixing my problems. They were just. It was just like. 
I was really doing those things as a placebo effect, as to think that maybe it was helping me. But what, I, what therapy was really for was me to figure out solutions to my problem and then problems and then do the work to solve those problems outside of myself and to not take the pills and to figure out how to deal with depression or sadness or not. And look, like just because my, I, I tend towards depression doesn't mean that I have to be depressed and wallow in it and stay in a blanket for a couple of days. If you, when you are mindful of that depression, the mindfulness of the moment that you're in the depression is, is a bit of a release of that. Do you, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Do you guys understand what I'm talking about there? The idea of you realizing in that moment that you're in that moment takes you out of that moment and brings you into the present moment. Oh, yeah. I also I, want to say this while, we, while we're sure. here. Um, if you are prescribed antidepressants, you need to talk to a doctor about getting off. You just can't go, and I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, but, um, but I, I mean, like, and I'm not knocking antidepressants either or any kind of, like, psychological medicine. If you need it, you should take it. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt, like I, I felt like I didn't need any more, so needed any more. So I started exercising more. I started writing more. I started, what I did was I started to keep myself so busy that I didn't have time to think about what was wrong in my life or what I thought was wrong in my life. And I didn't have time to be depressed. And I didn't have time to wallow and lie on the couch in a blanket in this sort of like warm cocoon of depression. Because it's really comforting to be depressed, to just sort of give up, right? It's like... There's a comfort in that. Well, but you're not living your life when you're doing that. I get, I get it. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to me is when you said you don't have the time for that, that's mm -hmm. not what's really happening. What's really happening is you don't have the desire for that. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I don't have the time to do the dishes. It's that I don't have the desire to wallow. I don't have the desire to embrace that depression. Right. Because at that moment, you're living your life. You're not living your mind. Yeah, I mean, someone, uh, actually, you know, I've been, uh, a couple, a few months ago, I actually mentioned uh, the name Billy Ray to mm -hmm. uh, these people. I don't know Billy Ray, he doesn't know me, but he came in to speak to a bunch of uh, screenwriters at AFI. It's Miley's dad. <laughs> uh, Billy Ray is, Billy Ray is one of the top screenwriters in the nation. He wrote, uh, he he wrote Hunger Games, and he wrote Captain Phillips, and right. he's an amazing screenwriter, and very, very smart, very, very hardworking, terrific. And but he actually, uh, while he was lecturing, he said that uh, I think it it was maybe Freud. He was quoting Freud, I think, who said that we are defined by our ability to work and our ability to love, and that for some reason that quote really hit me because mm -hmm. uh, all right so well we got to work towards love too so it's really just about like working towards the things that we want to do and it actually was a uh, he was talking about story he's talking about what we need our characters to, do <laughs> to work towards love <laughs> and to work towards their goals right but this is how I needed to live my life I needed to like love doesn't fall on in your lap and when you fall in love with someone and they fall in love with you, that miracle happens, 
it's not like it's easy from there on out. No one lives happily ever after. You actually have to work to live happily ever after. So a lot of it was about just working on myself. Right. And just whenever I'm whenever I tend towards the negative to catch myself and work towards turning that into a positive. You know what's interesting because you say work towards love and I think and then you were talking about working for yourself uh, or 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 working and what I think is work toward loving yourself is really what we're aiming towards. Well, yeah, and look, I, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm not uh, I'm not married and uh, and part I'm of that I'm 55 and I'm not married. Well, there we go. Right. Let's go. Let's go into Monterey tonight and sure, to and a bar and find some, some otters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think for there there was a long period of time where I didn't love myself. Right. And I didn't think that I was worthy of someone else's love until I loved myself. Right. And look, this takes a long time to like, come to this realization. It took me till I was around thirty-seven or thirty-eight years old right. to to really realize that if I don't love myself, then I don't, I don't really, um, I don't know if I deserve that love. Well, I, one of the things about if you don't love yourself is you, you aren't looking in the mirror loving that person and you're carrying that manifestation around yeah. of going, I don't deserve that. And then when you walk into a room, people are going to go, oh, that guy, yeah. you know, call back. Or you can look, walk into a room. Now, here's the, th that, here's the thing that, I, that I, I think about when it comes to that sort of, that, um, that decision to live your life in that way. It's a decision to live your life that way. It's a mindful decision to live your life to say, historically, I would be upset at this moment, but I'm going to take this moment. I was talking to somebody today about smoking. And when you're smoking, you have an opportunity to walk outside here and have a cigarette and continue your addiction. Or when you have a break, to sit in here and to mindfully live in this moment of a, that uncomfortableness, B, the presence of others, C, the love of yourself in that moment, saying I'm taking care of myself, but you need to be mindful of all that in that moment. Yeah. You also get to be mindful when you are hating yourself to go, oh, oh, sure. oh right now I'm hating myself. Look what I just did. Ha -ha. <laughs> I am the star of my own goddamn movie. You are not the star of my movie, you know? And when I make my depression the star of my movie, I'm not living that movie. Did you hear the thing? Uh, uh, this is on a slightly different subject. Welcome to the ADD comedy improv, <laughs> uh, the, the podcast. Uh, but I'm going to talk about another radio show. That's fine. That's uh, fine. I think it was on This American that, Life uh -huh. about those uh, about people who um, who have a psychological uh, problem where they think that they're on camera all the time, or they th it, I think they call it the uh, Rosowski syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, well, no, what, what was the Jim Carrey movie? We'll be right back. The Truman, it was, they call it the Truman Show Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So, uh, like, these people, have, like, check themselves in a mental hospital. There was a guy, I think, that... Uh, why am I recounting something that happened on another radio It show? doesn't matter. It's not a radio show. Oh, this isn't a radio show. That's a radio show. This is a conversation. I thought this was a radio show. No, I'm sorry. Do I have a psychological issue yes, you where do. I think we're You've on got a radio a, show? A, a Edward R. Murrow effect, <laughs> where you think you're always broadcasting from wartime London. <laughs> um, <laughs> but people think they're not under, they're not um, in control of their own destinies. I think that's a big part of that that Oof. psychological thing, and the fact is like. We, we can be passive and allow other people to 
take control of our destinies and to affect us and to be to have our mood totally affected by how other people treat us mm-hmm. or we can affect how they treat us but that's the whole thing yeah. i think that a lot of times like i think oh you that sentence you made me mad it's like no you made you mad yeah. fuck you i didn't make you nothing <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and 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 every time someone says that i'm like i didn't make you do anything yeah. you made that decision to be mad so when you're talking about an argument scene you're saying nobody's interested in that argument scene for me whenever i hear an argument scene i want to say to one of those people stop arguing i want to say to the other person argue <laughs> because that's where the pressure is. You can argue, you can't. And go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's the it's the fact that these two people aren't mindfully aware that this shit's going on. Right. I think the, the you know, in couples counseling, or at least what I see on TV. <laughs> they, but they, it's like the in the in the uh, role playing, they can't say uh, they can't say you made me mad. It's like when you do that, that makes me feel right. So right. it's it's about it's about taking ownership about what you're feeling, but taking stock of why you're feeling that, and also not blaming the other person for it. Again, it's going back to Julie Larson, who's an angel. Uh, that's if they're ha- if they're being mean to you, or if they're being a jerk, or if they're if they're being however that's making you upset. That's their problem, but you being upset is your problem. Right. That's your responsibility is for your own emotional content. And if somebody comes at, for me, I feel like if somebody comes strongly at me, I was doing a, um, I had, (laughs) I had uh, a workshop that I was doing in the Catskills with a group of people in front of an audience. And I was side coaching from this, I was side coaching the, the cast. And that was just the deal. We had an audience. I was side coaching and a woman entered the scene and I said, um, not yet. I said, don't enter yet. And she turns to me and she goes, fuck you, Rosowski. Fuck you. Fuck you. And she lost her mind. She's like, I'm going to come in whenever the fuck I want to come in. And you can't tell me what the fuck to do. And I was like, wait a minute. And I went, okay. And she went, she said, you have been riding my ass since I've been here. I went, all right. And she said, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. And I I turned to the audience and I said, we're going to take a break. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I went to her and I said. And you kissed. uh, Right. Deeper (laughs) and No, we didn't. Um, I turned her and I said this. We're done. You and I are done. Whatever relationship we have after this point, this is going to be the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. And we're finished. Now you get to be angry and I get to walk away. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, and that's maturity, actually. I, I have not spoken to my mom since. (laughs) <laughs> I am so glad that you didn't kiss passionately. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. My, my, mom, my mom, I would kiss passionately, but no, oh, yeah. no. But, but you're right. I mean, you're right. The idea that the idea, like at that, at, but it's that at that moment, historically, you would get upset. And I invite y'all the next time that somebody gets all up in your grill to just sit there and let the car be parked and let them fucking be up in your grill because that shit ain't got nothing to do with you. Yeah. And you're not also responsible for them for them extinguishing their anger because they're going to extinguish their anger when they extinguish their anger. Yeah. And but I have to say it's it's easier and easier to do it as I get older. Yes. But I still find myself guilty of 
of not following that. Well, it's a practice, Ed. Yeah. You know, it's a practice, which is so wonderful that we get to practice it each and every moment of our lives. We get to practice it all. And, and when we don't do it, that's as good of a lesson as when we do do it. Sure. Because when we don't do it, we go, oh, that was an opportunity that I could have had to do that. And I think now it's also about not being so hard on myself when I don't do the right thing. Right, because everything that you're doing is a lesson for you to practice the mindfulness and the awareness, the presentness of being alive. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, you know what? Let's yeah. end there. Yeah? Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information, you can go to our website at www.addcomedy.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod, and you can follow Dave on Twitter at D Rosowski.